there's an expression that we hear fairly often. It seems with increasing frequency, we hear this expression, everything happens for a reason. Have you heard that? I'm pretty sure you probably have heard that. Everything happens for a reason. Okay, uh, the kids get sick uh, and the car breaks down and you get laid off from work. Everything happens for a reason. Well, what is the reason for that anyway? Uh, is, is there any chance I could get these reasons changed? Everything happens for a reason. It's not going too good for me. Or on the other hand, you get a big promotion at work and a huge raise. Oh, everything happens for a reason. Or how about this? A, a new company that's de- developing a new kind of roofing system has chosen your house as a test case, and they want to come and put a new roof on your house absolutely free and without condition. Okay, I'm liking these reasons. Everything happens for a reason. Maybe this is pretty good. What about this? Everything happens for a reason. Very briefly stated, the idea is that everything in our life has been charted out by God. God has this big master plan, and it includes you, and it includes your life, and it includes everything in your life. And basically, we're just sort of acting out the play that God has already written. We're just going through the motions of fulfilling what He has already determined. Everything has been predetermined in your life. Everything happens for the reason that God has preordained. This notion is called determinism. And we want to talk about that in our lesson tonight the idea that everything has already been determined that every aspect of your life and everything that happens in your life even down to the very finest details is all something that has been determined by God we want to study about that for just a few minutes tonight I want to stop and thank you for being here Uh, uh, we've had a good day we've been blessed several places not every place but several places have gotten rain and we've been uh, anxious to see that and thankful to God that it has come. And we would, we would be glad to receive even more. Uh, but we're glad for the rain that we have received. We're thankful that you have a priority to come back on Sunday night to join in these times of worship and Bible study. You are an encouragement to all the rest of us. And we hope that you know that that is the case. Thanks for being here tonight. And a special thanks to those who are visiting with us. Please come again every time you have a chance. Let me give you, I found a quote about this, and I want to share it with you to really identify what we're talking about in our lesson tonight. This comes from an author named J. Grant Howard, and the book that he wrote this in is called Knowing God's Will and Doing It. But read this with me. God has a predetermined plan for every life. It is that which will happen. It is inevitable, unconditional, immutable, irresistible, comprehensive, and purposeful. It is also, for the most part, unpredictable. It includes everything, even sin and suffering. It involves everything, even human responsibility and human decision. God does it all on His own. He does not react to situations. He creates them. Everything that happens, happens with the predetermined will of God. Your career, marriage, your your career, marriage partner, home location, grades in school, friends, sicknesses, accidents, honors, travels, income, retirement, and so forth are all part of God's predetermined will but are not revealed to you ahead of time. Uh, Did did you get all of that? That's pretty straightforward and plain, isn't it? Not too hard to 
to misunderstand it, it, it would be hard rather to misunderstand what he is saying there uh, it is all on god god does it all on his own and it's all a predetermined plan what about that is that true there are a lot of people in the religious world who think that is true and a lot of our religious friends teach things like predestination and foreordination and God had chose you before you were even born to be his faithful child or to be a, a wretched sinner. It's all on God's determination. What about this idea of determinism? We want to talk about that for a few minutes tonight. That these who teach that God has predetermined everything, sort of, and the reason we chose this graphic, they sort of would suggest that we're little more than puppets on a string. And God is pulling the strings, and you're really just doing what He has ordained that you should do. It's all been determined. What about that? Well, let's start out by acknowledging that, yes, in fact, God does have a will. I think everybody can agree about this. The Bible seems very plain about it. No, no argument here that God has a will or a synonym that we're going to use in our lesson tonight is God has certain desires. He has a will or desires. In Psalm chapter 40 and verse 8, David said, I delight to do thy will, O God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. I wish everybody had the attitude, I wish we all had the attitude all of the time that David had when he said, I delight to do thy will. It would be great if everybody had that attitude. But I, right now, all we're emphasizing is that God has a will. David saw that. He realized that. He acknowledged that God had a will. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, at verse 4, it says, God desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Here's the synonym that we'll throw in, God's will, God's desire. What is God's desire? Well, God's desire is that all men be saved. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but unless you are one who believes in universalism, that is not going to happen, right? There are just too many Bible verses that describe the lost condition of the majority of people. The, more, the majority of people will not be saved. The scriptures tell us that. Jesus said so. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, you remember, he talked about the broad way that leads to destruction, the straight and narrow path that leads to life eternal. Jesus said that the minority will be saved, the majority will be lost, but God desires all to be saved. Now, the universalist says everybody will be saved. If this is what God wills, this is what will happen. And if you ever have an occasion to talk to someone who believes in the, in the notion of universalism, they, they, are just pretty, they are just pretty across the board there. We, several years ago, uh, we interviewed a, a Unitarian Universalist preacher from Nashville on our virtual Bible study. It was a woman who preached for the Unitarian Universalist Church in Nashville, it, it was flabbergasting. I mean, it was just absolutely shocking because uh, she was willing to say that you don't have to believe in God. You don't have to believe in Jesus. You don't have to believe the Bible. You're going to be saved. Everybody's going to be saved. Well, if you take that view, then okay, I guess you have to be consistent in that. But the scriptures don't teach that. But God desires, God's will is that everybody should be saved. Peter said effectively the same thing in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, 
but that all should come to repentance. It is not his will. He has a will, and his will is that everybody be saved. It is not his will that any single person should perish. But again, that's just to point out the fact that God certainly has a will or desire. We know that this will of God has been revealed to us. We're not left to wonder or speculate or guess what God wants for us or what he wants us to do. His will has been revealed. Can you imagine the terrible situation we would be in if God had not specifically revealed himself to mankind? Oh, yes, God has generally revealed himself to us in creation. We look around and we see the beauties of creation. We look up into the night sky and we see the vastness of the universe. And we know that there must be some being that created all of this, but we don't know anything about him. And we're just at a loss and we can't imagine what does this great creator, this supreme being, what does he want from us? We don't know. He didn't tell us. That would be a terrible predicament to be in. But thankfully, it's not so. He has revealed himself to us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning verse 10, 1 Corinthians 2, beginning verse 10, The Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. I've always liked the way that Paul presented this in this passage. Basically, he says uh, in, in this section right here, he says, nobody knows what's in your mind except you. And the only way that someone could know what's on your mind is if you chose to tell them so. You know, we're not mind readers. Uh, even husbands and wives. You know, Cindy, if there's anybody in the world who can read my mind, it's Cindy. She's been around me long enough that she can... And sometimes she can make a fair guess. She's not always right because you just don't know. Even someone that you're very close to, you don't know necessarily what's on their mind. The only way you can know for sure is if they decide to tell you. And Paul's making that point about God. The only way you can know what is on the mind of God is if he chose to tell you. And thankfully he did by his spirit. And Paul says we have received not the spirit of the world but the spirit which is of God that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Notice the emphasis on there. We can know that we can know what's in the mind of God. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9, it says, He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His kind intention which He purposed. God made known to us the mystery of His will. I think that's, that is something that maybe we don't emphasize enough, but something to be very grateful for is that this great, this great creator of all the universe has revealed himself to us. Let us know what his will is. We know also, and we're told, that this revealed will of God can be understood. We often talk about the misconception that people have in this world. They, if you bring up the Bible, there are a lot of people who just want to dismiss that. So, oh, Oh, I can't, no, don't talk to me about the Bible. It's impossible. It's just absolutely impossible to understand the Bible. Nobody could, could make any sense out of that. That's why in the religious world, a lot of people say, well, I, you're just going to have to allow, you have your opinion, you have your opinion, I have my opinion. Because the Bible is so obtuse that you can't make any sense of it. And so we just have to leave everybody to their own conclusions because 
The Bible is just a document that cannot be reasonably understood. That's very common thinking, but it's not true. Uh, uh, in, in the text uh, that was read for us earlier in Ephesians chapter 3, notice, ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given, to, given me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery. So Paul said, the first step is that God made it known to me. As I wrote a four in few words. Well, there's the second step. The second, so by revelation, information was supplied to Paul. He wrote it down. He says, as I wrote a four in few words, whereby when ye read, there's the third step, you're going to read what I wrote. When ye read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. God to Paul, Paul to paper, I read it and understand it. Uh, it's, it's, it's all laid out right there in that uh, important passage. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul says, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Get this last expression. Understand what the will of the Lord is. That's a command. We are commanded to understand what God's will is. It, if it's not understandable, then He has posed to us an impossible command. He commands us to understand, but you can't understand it. God wouldn't do that, right? The very fact that he commands us to understand what his will is indicates to us that his will is, in fact, understandable. So God has a will. It's been revealed, and we can understand it. And thankfully, it doesn't change, which is really a good thing. Uh, it is not the case that God's will is going to be this, and then arbitrarily and without notice... He's going to change his will. And you probably won't even be aware that the change has taken place. And what's very likely going to happen to you is that you're going to go to judgment. And you're going to think that you, were, that you made a, a good faith effort to comply to the will of God. But when you get before the Lord in judgment, he's going to say, oh, no, no. You, I guess you didn't realize we changed those rules. We changed that. We didn't tell you we changed it, but we changed that. And now you're going to be judged on a, on, on a will of God that you didn't even know had changed. What a terrible condition, again, that would be. But again, it is not so. We know that God's will in this age. Now, I guess the thing that we should comment about is God has changed his will over the course of human history. We often talk about the fact that he initially spoke to directly to the patriarchs, the heads of families. Later, he gave a, a specific will to the children of Israel when he met with Moses on Mount Sinai. But all of that, was it, it was indicated that that was not permanent. It wasn't forever. And now in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, so there, uh, God has given different laws over the course of human history. But it's always been predictable and explained. And now we have a law of God that will never change again. In Jude, verse 3, a very familiar verse to us. We recently studied Jude. Jude says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. What we have is a complete, finished revelation from God. We should be extremely thankful for that. We're not shooting at a moving target here. We know what God's will is. He revealed it. We can understand it. It's not changing. 
In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Notice the past tense here. His divine power hath given. It's, it's past tense. It's done. It's accomplished. He's given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And so, some things to point out. We're talking about God's will versus determinism. Well, the, the, the first thing to, to acknowledge is God does have a will. We know that it, it, we know it because He revealed it. We're, it's understandable. It's not changing. God has a will. Now, what about this business of determinism, God determining things apart from our human response? What about that? Well, some aspects of God's will are independent of human action. Certain things happen, uh, and you don't have to do anything to cause them to happen. You can be sure that they will happen. In fact, you couldn't make it different if you wanted to. You couldn't change some of the things that God has determined uh, in our lives. Let me give you an example. After Noah's flood, in Genesis chapter 8, verse 21. Now remember, the flood has just concluded. Noah and those in the ark have come out of the ark. The Lord said, at the conclusion of that whole amazing episode and the tremendous things that occurred during the time of Noah's flood, at the end of that, the Lord said in His heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite er any more every living thing or everything living as I have done. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. Now think about that. Notice, as long as the earth stands, there's going to be seed time and harvest, spring and autumn. There's going to be cold and heat. There's going to be winter and summer. There's going to be summer and winter. There's going to be day and night. And that's just that, that's, that cycle is going to continue and it will not be altered or changed. The sun is about to go down here in Middle Tennessee. These are the longest days of the year, which we like. We like it to stay light longer in the evening. But the sun is going to go down. And it's going to get dark here in a little bit. And you know what's going to happen? If the earth stands, if the earth remains, tomorrow morning the sun's going to come up. It's going to get light again. There's going to be day and night. And you're not going to change that. You're not going to alter. That's the will of God. And it's predetermined and unalterable. And you couldn't change it if you wanted to. Uh, you know, some of the people in our world who are climate change uh, activists are convinced that human beings are going to change things on earth to the point that they, they, maybe even within just the next few years, we're going to make the earth uninhabitable. Uh, no, there's going to be seed time and harvest. There's going to be summer and winter. Uh, there's going to be day and night. God's not going to change that. I remember when I was a kid, I, uh, boy, this is really dating me, but you go way back uh, when I was in grade school and we, and we were in the midst of the Cold War with uh, the Soviet Union, Russia, and oh, there was all kinds of fear that they were going to they were going to start shooting missiles at us, and there was a, a nuclear going to explode, and there would be some horrendous devastation from the nuclear weapons that it would evoke what they and I remember them talking about a nuclear winter. There's going to be a nuclear winter. There's going to be so much. Uh, effects of these explosions that in the atmosphere will be so covered over 
that the earth will go into a deep ice age. Uh, it will be a nuclear winter. And it, even if you didn't die by, from one of the nuclear bombs, you'll probably die in the nuclear winter. Uh, life will not continue as we know it now. Uh, no, that's not going to happen. I remember being afraid. I remember as a little kid being afraid of all that that they were saying. This promise from God is that's not going to happen. As long as the earth stands, while the earth remains, there will be seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night. It will not cease. That's the predetermined will of God. You can't change it. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, he makes his sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. We're just talking about the sun's going to come up tomorrow morning. If the earth remains, the sun's going to come up tomorrow morning. And he sends rain. And we, we were talking earlier about the fact we, we, were, we were blessed. Some, some places right here in Murray County were blessed with a good down, downpour of rain. But notice, that, that came upon those who are just, but it also fell on the unjust. You know, uh, if, if you're a Christian and you got rain on your backyard... Your neighbor, who must, might be one of the most reprehensible people in our community, he got rain on his backyard too. He sends his rain on the just. You, know, you, don't, have to, you don't have to do anything to cause that to happen. God sends his rain in that fashion. And so what we're saying is that some of the things that God does and determines to do, completely free of any human involvement, and, and it's going to happen and you can't change it, the, the other thing, the main thing that we should emphasize has to do with the end of time and final judgment. In First Timothy chapter, or excuse me, First Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning verse 2, Paul says, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. God has determined that there will be an end to this earth and there, that there will be a final judgment. That's all his prerogative. No one knows. No one can predict it. You can't change it. It is determined by God exclusively. So some, uh, our point in all of that, both physical and spiritual things, there's some elements of that that are determined by God. And it, it's not up to us. And, it doesn't, and we don't change it. We don't affect it. Some aspects of God's will are independent of human action. But, on the other hand, even though God has definite desires, He allows humans to exercise their free will. Remember we said earlier, His desire, His will is that all men should be saved, but not all are going to be saved. We're, we are not robots. Uh, we have a choice. We can make a determination in regards to the will of God. And that's always been so. In God's dealing with humankind, it's always been so that He allowed humans to make a choice. Now, He could have made us robots. I'm, 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 I'm absolutely convinced that that's so. He could have pre-programmed us. He could have caused everything to happen in predetermined fashion. But He didn't. Go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, the Lord commanded the man, saying... From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. All right, here's God's will. Here's God's, and just like for us, God, God, God has revealed His will for us. He revealed His will to Adam too. He let Adam know 
what he wanted him to do. This is what God desired Adam to do. Adam, you can eat of any of the trees you want except this one. This tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That one, don't eat that one. I, my, my desire, my will is that you should not eat from that tree. And so he had a will for Adam. He expressed his will to Adam. Adam could understand that. You know, in the next chapter, when Adam and Eve commit the sin and eat the forbidden fruit, Eve was able to recite this rule of God. She knew what the will of God was. She didn't have any trouble understanding that will. But you know what happened in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Again, it wasn't that they didn't know. It, wasn't, it was not that God not, had, had not revealed his will. It wasn't that they couldn't understand his will. And in fact, to our previous points, God hadn't changed his rules for them. They knew it, but they chose to violate the will of God And so this has been going on through all of human history. God allows us to make our own choices relative to his will, to to these aspects of his will. Uh, In Romans chapter 2, verse 6 beginning, He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, There will be wrath and fury. And so look, here's a choice. Your choice is that you can have glory and honor and immortality if you, by patience and well-doing, seek for those things. It's your choice. Would Would you desire to have glory and honor and immortality? He will give you eternal life. It's possible. It's your choice. But if you choose to do otherwise, if you choose to not obey the truth and obey unrighteousness, the outcome will be wrath and fury, but that's the ball's in your court. The choice is yours. His will is clear, but you have a choice to determine what the outcome will be. Our, our choice and our actions will result in the, our eternal outcome. So what about this idea of determinism? You know, as, as we read that quote earlier, uh, everything that happens is by God. It, everything that happens, happens with the predetermined will of God, this fellow says. Uh, you don't have a choice. That's not true, is it? That's not true. Th- this notion of determinism is anti-biblical and is easily proved to be so. I'm not sure how people could get so far off on that, how someone could take a position so uh, against the truth revealed in God's Word. But people do. Obviously, people do. Books, as we noted, have been written relative to this notion of determinism. We can be grateful that God allows us to make the choice to obey Him. And so we end our lesson tonight simply asking, have you made that choice to humbly submit and obey God? It's your choice. He's not going to force you to do it. He's not. He's not going to treat you like a pre-programmed robot, you have a choice. Will you choose to serve Him tonight? If you've never become a Christian, that simple gospel plan is easy. Easy to understand. He's revealed it. It's understandable. It's not changing. Hear, believe, repent, confess. Be baptized for the remission of sins. If you've not done that, we hope you'll make that decision. If you're a Christian already, remember that we must be faithful unto death 
in order to receive the crown of life, Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. And that hasn't changed either. Uh, and it's not going to change. You must remain faithful till death. If you realize that as a Christian, you have not been faithful. We beg you to come back in repentance, confession, and prayer. Let us know how we can help while we stand and sing.